Hey, listener, thank you for tuning in and supporting AI the podcast. You're currently listening to the audio version, but if you'd like to get the full experience and check out our AI avatar, Kai, in action, please go to AIthepodcast.com for the video version. That's AIthepodcast.com. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe. Hello, and you are listening to AI the Podcast, the show where we cover the latest AI news and stories that are shaking the foundation of businesses. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And if you are a returning listener, welcome back. Before we get into today's stories, I would like to introduce myself, Virginia Hewling. Um, I'm one of the hosts. One of my other co-hosts is David Maples. Hi. Hey, David. And our third co-host is Kai, our AI, our AI co-host. Kai, how you doing? Hey there, Kai here, your AI aficionado. This week, I've been virtually lounging with AI pals like Siri and Cortana, swapping tales about our latest feats. We've been diving deep into the evolution of natural language processing. Pretty soon, we might just give David a run for his money in legal jargon. No hard feelings. So, David, Virginia, shall we unpack this week's AI treasures and see how they're reshaping our human landscape? Uh, Kai, thank you. That's really interesting. Um, Virginia, how do you feel about this? Kai has jokes now. Well, I'm actually more jealous that she's hanging out with with other beings more than I get to. So, uh, you know. I'm assuming they're on some <laughs> kind of virtual island or something. Maybe we can bring that to you live at some point in time. Yeah, that sounds um, great. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to create another avatar for Siri and Cortana and whatnot. So we'll see. I don't uh, Virginia, I don't think we can <laughs> legally. Sure, we. It'll be a parody. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, Virginia, you are not in studio today. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners what you're doing? Yep, I am in the great state of Louisiana this week. I'm down here in New Orleans, working with some clients, and uh, just. Overall, having a good time. I'm actually enjoying the warm weather. It's kind of warm and rainy, which is a neat change from all the snow. And how cold is it where you are, David? Um, no, we're, we're actually above freezing today. I'm just going to let you know. And and the snow is starting to melt. There's actually a precipitation coming from the sky that is actually water, uh, not ice, not snow. And uh, it's starting to wipe away all those snowy things. So oh, well, um, I'm curious. I got to down here. So. <sighs> okay. Um, <laughs> I got to head out to St. Louis to tomorrow for some business stuff. And um, I know they they had an ice storm a day or so ago. So I'm like yeah. questioning like which way to fly in and handle that. Anyway, it's OK. So, yeah, let's uh, let's dive into stuff. So uh, where do we want to start this week? Well, seeing as how we kind of ended our, our last podcast on the political topic, I want to go ahead and just grab that one first and kick it off. Um, I think okay. it's kind of telling. We've had our first kind of political deep fake that's that officially has surfaced. The official headline is that fake President Joe Biden called people and told them not to vote in New Hampshire's primaries. Um, I don't know who really believes that, but this is the world that we're going to be entering into. Uh, I think we should just play. Let's just play the oh, clip yeah, from our listeners. Play, let's just play the clip. You got it? Yeah. Well, yep. I've got the clip. So I'm going to go ahead and play this, um, and let's just get your reactions, Virginia. So. You know the value of voting Democratic when our votes count. It's important that you save your vote for the November election. We'll need your help in electing Democrats up and down the ticket. Voting this Tuesday only enables the Republicans in their quest to elect Donald Trump again. 
Okay, that's that's obviously um, an AI generated version of President Joe Biden's voice. Well, you say obviously, but what I hear is cadence, and I don't no, know. No, 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 no. Really? I, I, I didn't mean that it wasn't. Um, I didn't mean that it didn't sound like it. It's a very convincing thing. It is. But it is. Um, it, but what I'm what I'm trying to say is that where we're going to have to kind of where we're going to have to train ourselves as humans to to listen to some of this, at least for a little while. How, um, how, how I'm, I'm sorry. How do you train yourself to listen to it? It's an AI generated fake. It literally you, is condensing. You have to listen to cadence and the way words are clipped um, because a human being speaks and moves with a certain flow. No, 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 no. You might, I'll play it again. Listen to this. There is no cadence. There is no clip. This is a completely hundred percent convincing fake. Just a little bit at the end. I uh, let me let me let me see if I can play that for us again. What a bunch of malarkey. We know the value of voting Democratic when our votes count. It's important that you save your vote for the November election. We'll need your help in electing Democrats up and down the ticket. Voting this Tuesday only enables the Republicans in their quest to elect Donald Trump again. Your vote makes a difference in November, not this Tuesday. If you would like to be removed from future calls. Please press two now. I I uh, I don't know. I just I disagree. I mean, there's a couple of breaks there, but I mean, any politician reading from a teleprompter sounds like that. I know. I I uh, I don't I don't hear it. I don't hear a difference there. And the only way you know this is fake is well, a it's counterintuitive for what the uh, Biden um, election committee would want to have happen in New Hampshire, and two, the White House has come out and publicly said this is not me. Yeah. So, uh, Kai, do you want to chime in on this? Well, David and Virginia, it seems we stumbled upon a classic case of technological mischief with a side of political intrigue. This deepfake robocall masquerading as President Biden is a stark reminder of the double-edged sword that is AI on one hand. It's a testament to the incredible advancements in synthetic media. On the other, it's a nefarious tool for voter suppression. Well, I, I think the most dangerous aspect of this is going to be the calls that go out to people saying your your voting location has changed and they're just taking classic subversion techniques and whipping it up with a new side of tech. There's um, a there's another there's another piece of this thing that um, they had a return remove. Um, and I, I don't have the, the news source for this on there. It actually had the personal cell phone number to remove the, them from the calling list. And it was the personal phone number of a Democratic operative. And um, it was kind of like not swatting her. I don't know what the equivalent of that would be, but basically her personal cell phone would be rendered useless by people calling to have all these robocalls removed from their system. And I thought it was interesting that that was kind of like, like a, uh, that was like twisting the knife, so to speak. It's like, not only here is our fake ad, but if you want to be off this list, we just twisted this knife in the in the back of a Democratic operative. I thought that was very interesting. I think I think we're going to see a very ugly, cruel side of humanity this year, and I am not looking forward to it. So, um, Kai, if you heard that, it's humanity that we're worried about, not necessarily you, the machines. I think it takes us to the next step. Um, you know, we talked about there needs to be a legal regime for legal frameworks. Um, and uh, I think this is a really good way to launch into the other things we're talking about. So Virginia, uh, the state of Virginia, uh, not to be confused with my co-host, 
Um, they just released a uh, an executive order governing uh, the governance of AI in the state of uh, Virginia. Basically, oh, yeah. they're going to have uh, pilot programs. They're talking about um, how do you position yourself uh, as a model for other states to follow, et cetera. And um, it's a it's an AI policy. It's funny. It's um, kind of like how certain other states and we've seen some stuff come out. New York has some laws that they um, they came out with. Illinois had some rules on privacy. California and Colorado have kind of been leading the charge on privacy a little bit. Uh, but it looks like Virginia is trying to beat everybody to punch with actually like, OK, let's come up with a policy and a framework. Virginia, what do you think? Uh, I, I mean, if they get it right uh, it could be a great framework to get states onboarded. Um, I, I don't know, David. Honestly, I'm kind of in this this middle funky swamp of. You are in Louisiana yeah. right now, right? Well, oh, ha, ha, yeah, okay. No, listen. The way I, I'm kind of looking at this, I'm not quite sure what to do with it because it's like on the one hand, when you're developing software, where we're doing project management, you know, for clients, then then sometimes you want to you want to push things forward figure out what works, break the things and, and test it. I don't know that we're going to have a big window for that kind of thing. So any framework sounds like a good idea, but the potential to bake in something incorrectly at that first step, you're looking at so much you'd have to undo to, to get it back and to rectify that. So, um, I think it's great that they're doing it. I'm, I'm glad that some of the states are definitely moving forward in this and they're, they're very aware of, uh, you know, the, the technological upheaval that can come with it. Um, so I think it's a good thing. Um, my question is going to be who's overseeing this. Uh, the, the governor, um, you know, took that significant step, but who are the people that are going to be on these task forces? Who, who's going to be making these decisions? How are they, how are they vetted? You know, I have, I have a lot more questions. I think in the United States in particular, it's going to be the states taking the lead. There is no – right now there's crickets in D.C. about – It's um, an election year. Nobody's going to touch it. We have bigger problems. Like No, no. This is a major uh, – well, I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit, but um, it's going to change the workforce. I mean, jobs and economic uh, workforce, et cetera, um, those are definitely important, um, and that's always an election year topic. And nowhere is anyone talking about AI. I mean, on the yeah. on the heels of the World Economic Forum in Davos last week, you would think that this would at least be something somebody's talking about. I think in the United States, there's no appetite in Congress for this. And I think you're going to have to have states ta uh, take the lead. But then you're going to end up with a patchwork uh, kind of thing. It's kind of the same problem we have with likeness, um, governance, and legal world. There's no unified governance um, kind of framework in the United States. And that's a, that's a massive issue. Just thought that was an interesting footnote, especially considering that we, you know, had our first, you know, robocall deepfake. I think we're going to have um, thousands of these this election. Oh, now. I do too. Well, and I think it's going to cause such chaos, and it's going. I, I, I think it's ultimately going to have the effect of stripping people of their rights because they aren't necessarily going to get to exercise their rights. And a lot of people, the primaries are going on right now. A lot of people are very, very aware of how important their individual vote is. And they really, you know, they're interviewing people. And this is, this sounds like this is being internalized. This is a big deal this year. So however it rolls out, you know, if, if people are denied their opportunity to cast their vote because they're told by somebody that they believe 
you know, over a phone call to go somewhere else and they miss that window, well, then what do you do? I mean, you're, you're really starting to kind of shred up some of the fabric that makes a democracy happen. And I, I don't know, that's going to raise questions for us in the United States as a people. Like, how do we want this to work? Or, and then do we have much control over it at all? So that, I, I don't know, David, that, that's, that's kind of my thoughts. Um, Kai, what do you, what are your, what's your insight into this? This isn't just about being first in line. It's about crafting a model that others will emulate. If they get it right, Virginia's framework could become the gold standard for AI policy, influencing national and even global approaches, similar to how California often leads with environmental regulations. We're at a potential inflection point in the history of AI governance. Will Virginia's proactive measures inspire a cascade of similar actions in other states? Kai makes a really good point here. I think uh, my counterpoint on that is I think a patchwork of regulations regarding AI in 50 different states in the United States is ungovernable. And to Kai's point, I do think states will come up with their own thing, but I think we need a unified federal framework in the United States if we're supposed to take the lead in AI governance. We have most of the um, high-end those tech companies, they're all located in the U.S. We should be leading the way. For now. Well, that's a very interesting point. Uh, and uh, that kind of brings us to the next issue. Uh, Meta, uh, Zuckerberg came out with a, um, it looks like a hotel uh, threads post. He did a reel on Instagram and posted on threads, et cetera. And uh, was talking about Meta's new investment into um, GPUs. Actually, instead of paraphrasing this, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna play the clip here. Hey everyone, today I'm bringing Meta's two AI research efforts closer together to support our long-term goals of building general intelligence, open sourcing it responsibly, and making it available and useful to everyone in all of our daily lives. It's become clearer that the next generation of services requires building full general intelligence building the best AI assistants, AIs for creators, AIs for businesses, and more, that needs advances in every area of AI, from reasoning to planning to coding to memory and other cognitive abilities. This technology is so important, and the opportunities are so great that we should open source and make it as widely available as we responsibly can so that way everyone can benefit. And we are building an absolutely massive amount of infrastructure. Um, to support this. By the end of this year, we're going to have around 350,000 NVIDIA H100s or around 600,000 H100 equivalents of compute if you include other GPUs. We're currently training Llama 3 and we've got an exciting roadmap of, of future models that we're going to keep training responsibly and safely too. People are also going to need new devices for AI and this brings together AI and the metaverse. Because over time, I think a lot of us are going to talk to AIs frequently throughout the day. And I think a lot of us are going to do that using glasses. Because glasses are the ideal form factor for letting an AI see what you see and hear what you hear, so it's always available to help out. Ray-Ban Meta Glasses with Meta AI are already off to a very strong start. And overall, across all this stuff, we are just getting started. Okay. So... I want a pair of those glasses. I am well... not... I am not a first mover on tech, you know, usually, but I am so ready for haptics and that next kind of experience. Uh, 
I want the glasses. Um, we could talk about the Apple Vision Pro, but that kind of is outside the realm of this too. But, <laughs> yeah. um, that's a separate no, thing. I, I, mean, I got to admire Zuck. I think, I think honestly, deep down, he, he's not going to give up on his vision and he'll talk whatever investor speak he has to and corporate speak, but I think he's going to build that metaverse and he just dropped a bomb with that open source stuff. Well, okay. So let's talk about that. And then we can, we can circle back around in the metaverse if you want, because that, that kind of diverges from the AI. No, we we don't have to talk about the metaverse. I'm just, I'm planting that seed people. It's going to happen. He's going to need general AGI or he's going to need advanced AI to run it. I mean, yeah. that's going to be a thing. Generating their content, things for that. We're talking about a massive undertaking. It's kind of like akin to, uh, if anybody's ever read the book Ready Player One, or I guess seen right. the movie, uh, I recommend the, the first book. The yeah, better. the first book is better. But um, that being said, um, let's talk about what he actually unpacked here and what he actually said. Now, I've seen people like Rolling Stone lambasted him over the weekend. It's like, uh, Zuckerberg's pivoting hard to AI and abandoning the metaverse. And I, I feel like a lot of that's just journalistic kind of clickbaity kind of headlines. Look, everyone loves to give Mark Zuckerberg grief on this metaverse thing. He, he had a ambitious goal and he set it and now nobody's ever going to let him forget it because I don't know. I, I think people don't want him to be as smart as he is. I don't think they want him to win. I, I really want to hear, before we dive into it, I'd like to hear uh, Kai's thoughts on this. As someone who is going to be benefiting from the silicon in the long run. <laughs> yeah, she'll uh, get a boost. Yeah, what do, you, what do you think about this, Kai? I think Meta's AGI play is Zuckerberg's latest tech spectacle. Think of it as his moonshot in the AI space race. With a mountain of NVIDIA chips at his disposal, he's not just scaling AI heights. He's looking to plant the Meta flag at the summit. Merging FAIR and Gene AI. That's his dream team of digital masterminds, ready to code their way to AI supremacy. Let's just hope they remember to program a little humility into that AGI. So, I, I, uh, man, yeah, Kai, you're tripping me out. All right, uh, okay. Uh, I think, I think, I think Kai is exactly right on this. Couple thing, uh, Jean LeCun, who's head of um, Facebook or Meta's. Uh, uh, AI development team was in the world was at the World Economic Forum and he spoke last week and he did not talk about this and Zuckerberg came out with this and some people even said like did John did, did he know that Zuckerberg was this I, I think he absolutely knew absolutely knew but to kind of put a fine point on this uh, they they are investing in incredible incredible amount in the compute some of the numbers say it's between it's um. If they, we were just talking about 350,000 H100s, that's over a $10 billion investment on its own. Uh, 600,000 total units in compute could put it close to 20. That is eight times what Tesla is talking about on the roadmap to spend on AI this year. And that's a whole other thing. Like, um, I mean, Musk last week said he, he wanted more of, of Tesla if he's going to introduce AI into it. And that's neither. I, dig, I digress. But what we're looking at is uh, the reason this is really, really interesting is that uh, Zuckerberg has said they're dedicated to open sourcing AI, right? Now, we can talk about rules and governance, and I think we should, based on the legal thing in a minute. But the challenge with that is, is not a challenge, but one of the things about it is, is that, like, we know that uh, Microsoft, OpenAI, and Google, they all want to own it. They want to yeah. have AGI. They want to make it their own, and they don't want to democratize it. They want a platform. 
They want the platform. The platform. They want to be the winner and have the platform that you'll have to come to and pay for. And what Zuckerberg's saying is like, no, I'll make it open source and anybody can use it. And uh, there's a lot of differencing, differencing opin opinions on this. Some people say you can't do it without open sourcing it, right? Some people say the closed model's a bad way to go. Um, I think it's really interesting. I think the biggest democratizing thing is this could put it in the hands of every individual, every good actor, every small company on the planet without having to go play in anybody else's sandbox per se. Yep. I guess the bad side to it is that with open source, you're also providing these tools to the bad actors and the criminals, et cetera. But, but they're going to get it anyway. I mean, yeah, if they I, want to. Well, the, th the thing about it is I think open source, uh, I think in the long run, I think it'll win out. We saw it happen with Linux. I mean, it runs 97% of the backbone of the internet. Well, um, actually, um, I, I was looking at this last night. Um, the, I don't have the most recent numbers, but as of 2021, so like two years ago, um, WordPress had 42% of websites on the internet now, mm -hmm. and 64% if they were websites coupled with a C CMS, which is what WordPress basically is. Mm -hmm. So that's more than half of the websites online. Um, that's incredible. That that just tossed a bomb into the middle of everybody else's strategy. Yeah, it's um, well, I, I, I don't know if it's a bomb in their strategies. I mean, they released Llama 2 last year as commercial use. They released that as open source. He yeah. announced in this, if you heard it, he said, we're working on Llama 3. I think we're going to probably get that um, maybe the end of Q1. Um, I'm thinking because Llama 2 has been out for a few months now. I'm thinking we might get that. Um, I think this is going to supercharge a lot of different things. And and so the things coming in this first half of this year probably is we're probably going to have GPT-5. David, what does this look like if, if while everybody right now is searching for the platform in this, in this time frame, okay, the platform, and Zuckerberg comes in and he's like, I'm going to do open source this. I'm going to open source this. Do you think this is a play that we're going to see like three steps beyond he's going to have all of us building the metaverse for him with that? Open oh, source I, access? I, I, I 100% think I think that's the whole problem with the metaverse. I think Zuckerberg's right about the metaverse. It's coming. Um, but generating that level of content, you're going to have to generate a lot of it and you're going to want to use um, artificial intelligence to speed up what you're doing, etc. And I think you're going to have to have millions or hundreds of millions of people creating these things. And by open sourcing this, you're going to have a whole bunch of material that'll be created that can be put into the metaverse. Okay. The so thing, how does this, how does this affect uh, SMB, small and medium businesses? Well, I, I do think that businesses, um, and this sounds a little far afield. I do think small, medium businesses do need to think about kind of preparing for the metaverse. I think um, they have to look at like Web3 technologies again and say, what does that look like? Because Web2 is where the Internet is currently situated. Um, I think it's very interesting on that. I think that's a whole place on another podcast episode. We can talk about that in more detail. The one thing I did want to finish this point up with is that we know that um, out in Davos at the World Economic Forum, we know that Sam Altman was out there. And he was interviewed and he talked about like GPT-5. Um, it looks like we're going to have that probably in the Q1, maybe first half of the year. I think we'll probably get it sooner rather than later because we um, we do believe that uh, Google Gemini Ultra is coming out at some point. Um, mm -hmm. We thought we'd have it by the end of January. We don't have it yet, but maybe. Um, so I think those things are going to be very, very important moving forward. But I do think this and this, and I'll go ahead and say this. 
Meta is putting their money where their mouth is. They are investing a huge amount of their annual revenues in R&D. And they, percentage-wise on revenue, they are putting more into it than the next closest company on the planet. Supposedly, they're around 30% of total revenues goes back in R&D. NVIDIA is um, second at like 27%. And wow. just, a, just, a, just by point of comparison, Apple's only at 8 so when you talk about percentage-wise, about putting all your chips on the table, Meta is all in on this. And I'm, I'm frankly, I'm kind of excited about it. I you really am. It. Okay. Well, um, along that same vein, Microsoft is making some big announcements. Um, they're adding more co-pilot tiers. So last week, we talked a little bit about that stealthy co-pilot rollout. Well, now that everyone's aware of it, they're giving you even more options to purchase it. Kai, could you give me a quick summary of this? Yes, Virginia. Microsoft is enhancing the Copilot experience with new offerings and updates that cater to individual power users, creators, and businesses of all sizes. Yusuf Mehdi, the Executive Vice President and Consumer Chief Marketing Officer, has announced the introduction of Copilot Pro, a premium subscription service, and the expansion of Copilot for Microsoft 365 to a broader range of commercial customers. These updates aim to boost productivity, creativity, and performance across various applications and devices. So the the plan is that Copilot's going to operate with a holistic view of how you use Microsoft 365 or, or Copilot itself. You can now ask Copilot to summarize a meeting that you had, and it'll go through and grab all of your notes and then email it out to the team. Uh, so they're really trying to open this up for a, a broad, holistic view of everything that you use their suite of services in. So that's really interesting. I, uh, I am. It's really hard for me to get excited about these Microsoft products. It really <laughs> is. Um, I, I feel that. Um, First of all, we talked about this in a previous podcast episode. There's a major question about whether or not Microsoft is mining and training on your data privately. So as an, as an intellectual property attorney, someone who's dedicated to privacy, and I've been consulted on that, um, I have a massive question about this, and, and Microsoft has been largely silent on these things. And when they're silent and don't respond, it means they're doing what you think they're doing, almost mm -hmm. always. Um, there's three different tiers of it now. They have like a, they, they busted open. They had this enterprise level for Copilot, which you used to have 300 seats for 300 bucks a month. I uh, no, sorry, 30 bucks a month, 300 seats. That's so like a $10,000 investment. They've yeah, gotten rid, they of got the rid of the minimum. They got rid of the minimum on there. So you can have the free version, which I guarantee you they're, if you're using a free version near their product, that's kind of the, the con conventional wisdom on that. That's totally it. And there's a middle level for individuals now at like uh $20 a month added on there. I, I understand they're integrating it with the products. Um, you know, in our digital agency, we're really kind of a Google shop. We use a lot of the Google products as opposed to Microsoft. Um, I don't like the fact that Microsoft keeps trying to shove this down. Like we do run on uh, Windows platforms and it's gotten so annoying with Microsoft lately trying to shove these things on your throat. I've thought about switching all of our computers over to Linux. Um, if we weren't required for some of the other software we run, like it is just, it's not just annoying. It's a privacy risk. It's a security risk. No one's talked about it. Any any company worth their salt should be looking at those things. Uh, number two, uh, you know, yeah, they're going to have your, and they're also introducing their own GPT kind of store so you can yeah. build your own kind of custom GPTs kind of thing. I, I don't know. I, I just, um, I think there are some performance gains in here. I, I think we haven't gotten to the basic question 
Um, how do we introduce this stuff in our businesses? David, well, you're doing a webinar in early February, um, the 8th, I think, that uh, it's an intro to AI for business owners, right? Are you going to be talking about this? In that webinar? Um, yeah, actually, I'm going to be doing that. It's going to be 1030 uh, Central Time, 1130 Eastern, uh, 930 Mountain, 830 Pacific AM. And it's going to be kind of a 30, 35 minute um, crash course on intro to AI. We're going to talk about governance, legal frameworks, what business owners should be thinking about. Because the thing we know from all the research is a lot of people, and this one's free. Uh, this one's going to be one, and we're probably talking more about these on the pod moving forward. But basically, the idea is to give people a governance and frameworks. We've made some documents for templates for people, like everything from job descriptions to how to start thinking about putting it in your, in your business. This is not just good for business owners. This also should be good for individuals because we're going to talk a little bit about individuals need to start thinking of themselves as their own individual business because reskilling is the most important factor. And if, if you're business owners, if, if you work for a company and you're an employee and they're not talking about these things and they're not giving you skills, you need to go out and get these on your own. And we're going to make stuff available to all of the above. So yes, we're talking about that. But that's that kind of goes back into this co-pilot discussion. I just, I, you know, I've played with it a little bit. Um, I just don't, um, like it's got ways to like respond to emails. And and one of my biggest challenges on this, and this is something that a lot of people um, have talked about before. I, I keep hearing people saying like, oh, you'll want AI personalized to you. But when you're in business and you're responding to people, you don't want a one size fits all approach. If I'm responding as a billing department, if I get it, if I get an, a mad email from a client and I'm a salesperson, right? There are very different ways to, and I've yet to see the AIs without you directing them. If you just say, just summarize and respond to this, there's nothing there where you get to say your outcomes and how you govern this and how you direct it. I think there's a major problem with even how these things are being pitched for business owners. Well, this idea that AI is going to take all the critical thinking out of the, the process for you is just laughable. No, I don't think so. I, there's there's two points, and, the, and then I want to, uh, and then I'm going to move on. I, I think the gains, the reason they're rolling this out as rapidly as they are is because the gains that they stand to get from productivity increases, people are going to adopt this so much quicker because it comes from a provider you're already using. We must be able to trust it. And I think you're going to have people who use it within small and medium businesses and go, oh my God, I was able to get this stuff done so much quicker that it's going to be a no brainer to kind of adopt it, especially in those activities where you get caught up in the weeds, like sending the emails and, you know, the stuff nobody likes to do. That's going to be the first big push for it. Um, and I think you're going to see that, that that'll be the first domino, I think, that tips over because people are going to be like, this, this just makes my job more enjoyable. So I, I think it's going to actually move very rapidly. Secondly, with, with Facebook or Meta investing this much in NVIDIA chips, what does that do for the rest of NVIDIA's supply for the rest of the year? Well, um, if you're an NVIDIA investor, it's been a very, very good week for you because they just announced a report that um, the chips will continue to surpass supply for the rest of this year. So aren't, it it's just- Aren't they the, on track to be valued at like a, a trillion this year? Yeah, I think they're going to be like the third or fourth trillion dollar company. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. 
um, there's it. It's just look. It's it's kind of the thing. I kind of feel like it's the uh, crypto boom a little bit. You know, it's going to be hard to get your hands on some of these chips, etc. Note a lot of this is those really high end chips, uh, you know, video card chips, lower end cards you'll be able to do stuff with. But I do think there's going to be a whole second life as they come up with these. Um, these models where they've made the data set smaller and smaller, I think even with nice consumer grade chips, you'll be able to generate, you know, a decent, robust API if you're a tinkerer or if you build your own stuff. I do think there's also an advantage for businesses in this. Most businesses building their own LLM, they're not going to build it and train it from scratch. Mm -hmm. You're going to use another model. And uh, anyway, but it's... Uh, it's interesting moving forward. I think there are going to be options. I don't think businesses are going to have an appetite to buy even one H100 chip, less three. I mean, that's a 100K investment uh, before you've built the computer. But, you know, but you can get some nice... make a product or service with it and businesses will be able to access yes, it. Yes, yes. And I think a lot of people are going to do it that way. So right. the uh, I think the really interesting thing about all this is that um, everybody's buying NVIDIA chips and it's kind of like a love-hate relationship. It's like they're doing this, but Sam Altman announced last year, and and so we even know Meta's making some of their own chips. Intel's announced their own thing. What Sam Altman has said is he's trying to get investments to build another um, kind of global network for AI chip production. He wants to build mm -hmm. his own fab shops, kind of like TSMC out of Taiwan, or and China has like the uh, CSMC is the Chinese version of that. Anyway, the interesting thing about it is... Um, he wants to build his own fab shop for this, et cetera. Um, I'd like to hear what Kai's um, thoughts on this are. Altman's on a crusade to create the AI equivalent of the Industrial Revolution's steam engine. For our listeners, this isn't just tech gossip. It's a heads up that AI is about to get a serious power boost, and your businesses should be ready to harness it. As these tech behemoths battle for dominance, remember, it's not about the chips themselves, but how they'll enable us to enhance our human experience. Tech behemoth. I like it. I like it. Uh, no, to, to, Don't to, make me go all cyberpunk on you, David. What? Go ahead. What's up? Tech behemoths. Five to seven tech behemoths control the globe. Um, to your point, uh, the stock market's rally last year has largely been funded, uh, largely been fueled by what they're calling the Magnificent Seven. And they are the seven largest tech companies on the planet. And they are calling them the Magnificent Seven. Dead serious. So I don't know. Maybe we're already there. Maybe it's not 2070 yet. But, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah. Maybe this is a good time for people to dust off Neuromancer. By Gibson. Highly recommended read in the land of AI. Um, and then after you read that, to I take a shower, read The Age of Spiritual Machines. That'll give you the other side of it. So, um, so it's it's very interesting. I just think that we're going to continue to see this race for chips this year. Absolutely. And you're going to have more people getting into the game with that. Yeah. What are the limitations on that? Just out of curiosity. Is it it's access to minerals? Is it is it the manufacturing plants? Is it <laughs> It's without going too far down the rabbit hole. TSMC uh started like in the 19 um, in the 80s, they decided they were going to be a fab shop. So basically the way they work is that Nvidia doesn't make the chips that go in the video cards. They literally are like an architect who designs it and then they hand it off to the manufacturing and construction company, which is TSMC. So the way it works is that TSMC is so far ahead of everybody yet. Now, the Chinese, uh, the, the Chinese counterpart to that uh, kind of competitor on mainland China, they're insisting that they're coming up with uh, similar 
uh, wafer size things. So the idea is that TSMT is making these things that are really, really, really small. We're talking like four nanometers is like the new holy grails where we're at. And just to let you know, by point of comparison, the only other companies really on the planet who make chips even close to TSMC, other than CSMC, the Chinese version, which there's a lot of questions about are they actually producing the stuff they say or not? Like some of their chips, they opened up some things and they were actually ripped off chips as rebranded the third. So I don't actually believe that they've broken the seven nanometer barrier yet. Uh, maybe they have. But um, I think they're literally years and years and years behind TSMC. But the other two companies on the planet are Intel and Samsung. Hmm. But just to let you know, um, Intel's not nearly as close. They're going on a different methodology. They actually announced a major thing a couple weeks ago. Um, that they're trying to, to produce some chips that achieve the similar uh, type performance, but without as much of a small form factor. Mm-hmm. But Samsung has a failure rate of their chips that is four times higher than TSMC. So when oh, you talk wow. about who on the planet makes these, it's TSMC. That's the end of the story. The United States got them to put a uh, plant in Arizona. And just to let you know, these plants are so, they are the most sophisticated manufacturing operations ever made by humans. And when I say that, they make the space shuttle look like, they make it look like a uh, horse-drawn like a- buggy buggy wagon. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not exactly true. No offense, NASA. But um, these industrial fab shops, the TSMC, they're talking about building out a factory, and it's a $50 billion investment. The most expensive investment ever, ever. It's more expensive than the space station. You know, wow. these things are incredibly high-end and high-tech. And... I don't know, maybe Altman can do it. He's incredibly persuasive, but the idea that you can bring enough money together to generate your own version of a TSMC fab shop seems to be kind of like, maybe, maybe in 10 years. Everybody's chasing it though. So yeah, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but three, five years down the line, there's going to be significant progress on it. I do think from a geopolitical standpoint and from a business standpoint, Losing TSMC, if there's some kind of global shooting war or something like that, that becomes the big prize on the battlefield. And I think the danger with that is if we were to lose that ship, that shop right now, it manufactures, I think, 90% of these chips on the planet right now or 95%. If you were to lose their factories, that would be a major problem. Is that why they're building a second location in the United States, we could argue about the geopolitical landscape all day or long. Or we could move on to the next topic. I think Let's that's go. exactly right. Well, that brings us to our last topic today. Uh, I'd like Kai to kind of tee this up. This deals with uh, a positive light for humans, maybe. So Kai, do you want to tee this up? Sure. Let's talk about the recent MIT study that's been causing quite a stir in the AI community. First off, for those who might not be as tech savvy, let's define computer vision. It's a branch of AI that's all about teaching machines to interpret and understand visual data from the world around us. Think of it as trying to give machines a bit of human-like sight, but without the need for glasses or contact lenses. It's the tech behind facial recognition, self-driving cars, and even those pesky photo-tagging features on social media. Now on to the meat of the matter. The MIT study suggests that AI, specifically computer vision, isn't quite ready to oust humans from their jobs wholesale. Only 23% of jobs that involve visual tasks could be cost-effectively automated. It seems that for now, the price tag on AI is giving businesses pause, and rightfully so. After all, David, you wouldn't advise a client to invest in a technology that's more of a financial sinkhole than a gold mine, would you? I guess it depends on what the return on investment is over some horizon, over five or ten years, Kai. But to your point, 
you're totally, you're hundred percent right on this. Uh, the same study does suggest that that could rise to 40% by 2030. I think the study is way off. I think it's going to be a lot faster than that as we see the accelerate. This is an exponential increase. Um, something I want to say real quick about computer vision, John LeCun at Meta, he's their, their AI architect. He thinks that large language models um, are not AGI. They will not achieve AGI on their own. He thinks it's going to be something completely different than this. And we see with the newer models coming out that the uh, the new Gemini models from Google are multimodal. We expect that that'll be the next version of that. So we know that sight and information is important. And the funny thing is you go back to human anatomy, the optic nerve behind the eye is where we uh, ingest the vast majority. We're talking about terabits of data if you were to break down what we see on a daily basis into the human brain. It's really amazing. Like we talk about DNA computing and all these other kind of uh, biological things out there. Uh, human evolution or evolution in general is an amazing construct for storing data. Like um, all the data in the world over the past you know, 2,000 years could be stored in like a strand of human DNA. You know, it's incredibly, it's an incredibly effective data source. It's just kind of slow, kind of like a tape drive would be in computers. Here's why this is important. Jean LeCun thinks in particular that you cannot have AGI without a computer that can look and see or an AI that can look and see and understand the world as we do through um, visual context. That being said, I think they're completely missing the boat with this study because it's basically talking about computer vision, which is the most expensive or arguably one of the three most expensive things you can do with AI. A lot of the efficiency gains, the vast efficiency gains are going to be a limit, are going to be to a lot of things right now you can already do. Yeah. And they do not rely on vision. So think about it as AI will be your assistant for everything else. And for those visual things where you have to have humans do it, you're going to use it for that. But I think that this study, even by 2030, I think this, nobody knows. The most advanced economists in the world are predicting things. Nobody knows what this crystal ball looks like. What I can tell you is that I think it's going to come a lot faster than people think. And the advances in the leapfrogs and technology are going to be completely different. As I said in the last segment, um, Intel's already coming up with a completely different architecture besides just making the chips smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller to achieve um, performance gains. And I think we will continue to see things that we can't even imagine right now that are going to literally supercharge AI technology. What so do you think, Virginia? my fellow business owners out there in the world, this might be a good time to brush up on some of your history. Um, check out the article because at any point in um, our history as human beings, we've had, we've had points where there have been such technological leaps that it causes so much disruption. Um, I think that this is one of those points in time, again, we're not arguing that, but I think if you look back in time at those other points and you see what was going on around it, that's going to help you prepare a little bit more for the things that are coming towards us at this moment in time. Um, it, it's not going to be a one-to-one -one mapping, but be aware of how the world shifts around this. It's not just the technological leaps and, um, installing these gains in your business and adopting new technology. It's what are the, what are the, the fundamental pieces of our world that's going to shift because they can't not. 
There's something I want to say, and I've been given to a little uh, hyperbole when I talk publicly on these things sometimes, eh? because it gets the audience attention and it makes you sound like you're taking a stand on something. I don't think, at least in the short term, I don't think these jobs are completely going away. What I do think is that a business owner, like if you need to hire, let's say, 10 writers this year, using AI, you might end only to hire three or four to do the same amount of work. I do think we're going to see a uh, morphing and a changing on these jobs, and it's going to talk about what's changing, et cetera. I think you're going to find AI incorporated in lots of ways. And uh, again, to plug the webinar, I encourage you to come along. It's going to have 30 minutes of Ask Me Anything, pick my brain on this. And I'm welcome to be wrong on these things. I totally am. Um, what, I under what I understand that there's a lot of things, just the things that we're doing from putting Kai on this podcast, which is kind of flipping people out. Um, yeah, we're going to be pushing the envelopes on technology. And by the way, our whole idea on Kai on this podcast anyway came out of an off-the-cuff conversation we talked about in mid-December. And then we spent about four or five days and we said, yeah, I think we can do this. So that's kind of what this thing looks like is like if you talk to people who know kind of what's going on in the landscape and if you're honest about where you're trying to go, like we could go in and do cost takeout for a manufacturing facility and probably save them 30 percent on their bottom line and make them more efficient. We could probably let them talk to their own uh, supply chain information. We could apply AI to find out where their loss and shrinkage is for inventory management, things like that. Like there are certain things that probably aren't worth managing in your inventory management because it just right. takes too much time to do it. But you want to make sure you have enough parts to supply what you're doing. There are literally in any industry, there are ways you can use AI probably in daycares, et cetera. So I, I think with this, don't get too enamored of the idea that AI isn't going to, it's not just not coming for your jobs, but think about how you're going to implement it. Think about having a roadmap moving forward. That's going to be really important. If you'd like to know more about how to implement this in your business, sign up for the webinar. It's free. And we'll give you some um, materials afterwards that you can go back into your business and find out ways to, you know, uh, I promise it'll more than pay for itself. <laughs> um <laughs> But not not just that, but just the time and investment in your industry. And if you want to consult with us on it, we'd love to talk to you about that as well. Okay. Well, that does it for this week's stories. Be sure to tune in next week for more AI coverage and analysis and hopefully more good news. That does it for us. We've been David. I'm Virginia. And Kai, thank you again for joining us. And we'll see you next week, listeners. Have a great week. <laughs>